Well, good morning. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. As Garth mentioned, there's this incredible booklet that you can get to learn more about our church, and we encourage you to pick that up on the way out, and also a pledge form. You can also make a pledge online, and you can drop these into the giving boxes or mail it to the church office or make a pledge online between now and December 1st. And what I want you to know, what I want you to hear clearly from me is that we are not asking you to give your money to the building campaign. We're asking you, we're inviting you to prayerfully consider if God would lead you to give your money. There's a big difference. We can't tell you what to do with your money. And we as a church, we have, some, we have belief that God is leading us in this direction to renovate our building. But ultimately, we believe that God's answers are in the numbers. Proverbs 16, 9 says, man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps. And so I want you to know as people who worship here at Park Community Church that the elders, the leaders, this whole team, as we've been thinking and praying in our church congregation voted to proceed in this way. We believe God is leading us to do some significant renovations of our church building. But ultimately, if the funds aren't in our church family, that'll be God saying, nope, wrong idea. Let's, let's redirect. Let's change. And so we don't want you to give your money. We want you to pray about whether or not God would lead you to give your money. You understand the difference there, right? And then we want you to be obedient to how God leads you. If that's a no, praise the Lord for that. If that's, yes, I'll give $700 million, praise God for that, right? The total project is $2.6 million, and so we would have a lot of extra money to give to missions and stuff. So if you have $700 million, go ahead and give it to the Lord, and we'll see what he does with that. Um, as we, as we continue this process of looking at the book of Haggai, I mean, part of the reason that we're renovating our church building or, or pursuing this is because we want to continue to be both a people and a place of peace. We know that, that God's people, that, that the peace of God is experienced through God's people. And it's also experienced in a place. And so there's this dynamic duo of people and place that, that we are stepping into as a church we believe God has filled our church family with incredible people who demonstrate the peace of God, and he has gifted us this building, this land, 6805 Minnetonka Boulevard, to be a place of peace. And this morning as I was standing up here earlier, just kind of looking over my notes, it hit me that when we gather on a Sunday morning, right now in this room, we are addicted. I don't know what you're addicted to, but some of you are addicted we're abused. I don't know how many of you have been abused or who you've been abused by, but there's abuse victims. And there's probably abusers in our church. There's people who have significant doubts and depression, filled with disappointment. There's people who are rejoicing. Everything's going great. You're on the mountaintop for now. There's people in this church family who are suicidal, dealing with suicidal thoughts and, and thoughts of loneliness. There's people who are just lost and confused and frustrated and hurting. That's us. That's this group of people. But we gather to look at him, Jesus, the one who gives us peace because he is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is for you, regardless of who you are, addicted, abused, lost, hurting, confused, broken, God is for you. He wants your good. He is seeking you. He is a healer. He is peaceful. He is a father, and 
He is a friend. And so we gather to experience him together. We gather as this broken, hurting family coming to meet with our father, with our friend, with our helper, with our healer to hear from him. And we as a church want to continue to grow as a people and a place of peace for years to come. And so how do we do that? With this hurting and hurried world around us, how do we as a church family maintain and grow as a people and a place of peace? We're looking at the book of Haggai to understand that. And so last week we looked at Haggai chapter 1, and our big idea from Haggai chapter 1 was that we become a people and a place of peace as we shift our priority from gratifying self to glorifying God. See, all of us in our flesh, we are hardwired to think about me. We want to gratify self. We want, we want to take care of self. We want to get the most that we can out of life, and we want to ease our pain. We want to find comfort, and that's what Haggai 1 dealt with. The people of Israel were, were thinking about themselves first. They were investing their time, their energy, their money, their talents on them, their homes, their families, their clans, their agendas, and God came, and he spoke to them, and he said, you need to shift God helped them shift. He said, I'm going to shift your focus from yourself to me, to my glory, to my goodness. And so that's one of the ways that we grow as a people in a place of peace is by by allowing the Lord to shift our priority from self to him. That was last week. This week, as we move into Haggai chapter 2, the big idea is that we become a people in a place of peace by looking to the future and living in the present rather than longing for the past. Haggai chapter 2, we become a people and a place of peace by looking to the future and living in the present rather than longing for the past. That's what we're going to see in Haggai chapter 2. And so I'd like to ask you to stand as I read Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. It's on page 791 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please grab that, open it up, and get your eyes on God's word with us this morning. Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The later glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God, we ask you to move in us. We are a people desperate to experience your peace. And with a, within a, within a three-mile radius of us, there's 83,000 people desperate to experience your peace. Actually, there's 102,000 people desperate to experience your peace. Christian or not, we are all desperate for your peace. 
And so, God, I pray that you would move among us. Thank you for the peace that we have experienced, that we continue to experience. Lord, I pray that you would grow our experience of your peace into the future. Lord, may you speak to us this morning through your word, for your glory, for our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, again, the big idea from this text is that we become a people in a place of peace by looking to the future and living in the present rather than longing for the past. See, that's exactly where God meets Israel here in Haggai chapter 2. They are a people who are, who are confused. They're, they're stuck. They're struggling. They're depressed. They're anxious. They're, they're mourning. They're longing for the past. Look at Haggai chapter 2 verse 1. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, that is October 17th, 520 B.C. The Jewish calendar is a little bit different than our calendar. So according to our calendar, that's October 17th, 520 B.C. And so Israel, they're back in Jerusalem after being off in exile for 70 years. They've been back in Jerusalem for about 18 years now. And when they first came back, when they were first allowed to return home to build their temple, they got to work. And then opposition came, and that opposition led to apathy, and they didn't pick up the hammer, they didn't pick up the supplies and finish building the temple. And so now in Haggai chapter 1, God came and he confronted them, and he said, you need to get your eyes off of yourself. You're, you're worried about gratifying yourself rather than glorifying me, your God and king. And so God moved in them in Haggai chapter 1 to get their eyes off of themselves and their own little spheres, their own little bubbles, and to look at the big picture and to look at God and be more concerned with his glory than their self-gratification. That was chapter 1. And, and here in chapter 2, God continues to speak to them and empower them and to prepare them to rebuild the temple. And the word of the Lord comes. It comes to Haggai the prophet, and Haggai speaks to Zerubbabel. This is in chapter 2, verse 2. God tells Haggai the prophet to speak to Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Jerusalem. He's, the, he, he's not a king because they're still Israel, God's people. They're back in Jerusalem, their holy city, and Zerubbabel is their governor. So he has, he has kind of rule and authority over Israel, but the Israelites in Jerusalem, they're still ruled by the Persians. So Darius is actually over them. He is the king. The Persian Empire is ruling over God's people, and Darius has allowed them to remain in Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. And so Zerubbabel is their governor, and then Joshua is the high priest. We have prophet, priest, and king, king figure, all working together again here in Israel. And they're, they're getting unified, and the people are getting unified and we saw that in Haggai chapter 1. And so there's this incredible unity among God's people for the first time in years. They've been divided. They've been at odds with each other. They've been, the, the people of Israel, God's people, have been complaining and bickering and fighting with one another for years. That's what sent them into exile 90 years earlier. Kept them in exile for 70 years until they returned. And now they've been back in Israel for almost 20 years, for 18 years, and and. They had still been bickering and complaining and not working together, putting themselves before the others. And here God moves, and he's preparing them to, to, to rebuild the temple. And this starts with getting unified. But in this process, as, as momentum's starting to shift, as they're starting to get unified, they start to get prepared to rebuild the temple, and they're met with disappointment, with frustration, with fear. 
The purpose of God's message here in Haggai chapter 2 is to identify the people's fears and disappointments and to move them into a hopeful future. See, they're stuck longing for the past. God's doing an incredible thing. He's doing some supernatural stuff in the community, and yet there's people who are a part of Israel who, who remember the glory days of the past, and they're stuck longing to go back rather than to move forward. Look at Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. So the word of the Lord comes through Haggai, and he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It, is it not as nothing in your eyes? And if you flip over to Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, we won't go there now, but you can jot that down if you're the type who wants to go and look at that later. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, it, it, it picks up on this, and as the people are there, they're back in Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the temple, there's a, there's a handful of people, that, the elders, the elderly of the congregation of Israel who are there, and they say, we remember the, the, the previous temple, Solomon's temple, those were the glory days. Things were so good back then, and they see the foundation of this rebuild, and they're like, that's nothing compared to how it was back then. Oh, back then, we had millions of people coming to temple to worship. This temple was glorious. It was Solomon's temple. If you could only see what it was back then, this temple that we're building, what God is doing in us now, doesn't compare to the past. They were longing for the past, and God confronts that. He says, who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? There's, there's a handful. There's a remnant of people from the days before. And how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God is meeting them in their frustration and their disappointment. And don't we tend to do this, church, where we tend to look to the past and remember the glory days of old? And, and long for what happened in the past to happen again, or compare what's happening in the present with what happened back in the day, whether it has to do with church or not, just in your own life. Think, think about some great memories of the past. And, and the, the point here isn't to forget the past. We actually ought to remember the past and be grateful for the past, but we can't long to move back in time. There were people among Israel who were longing to move backward. And God here is saying that you're going to experience no fruit in the present or the future if your mind is set on the past. History never moves backward. History does not go back. And all of your life is present and future oriented. And you will never experience the true abiding peace of God in the present or in the future if you're hearkening to days long gone. I mean, sometimes I'm tempted to believe that my glory days were my junior year of high school when my high school baseball team beat our arch nemesis in the playoffs. How sad if that was true, right? Like, you hear those stories, like those, those, those high school standouts who never made it anywhere in life, and they're still living in the glory days back in the day, whether that's, you know, whatever, if you were, had more friends in high school or were more popular or, you know, if you could do something in the past that you can't do in the present, can you imagine, how would you live your life if you, if you just wanted to go back? Back to a day when your family got along better. Back to a day when your kids were little because now they're grown and they're spread throughout the, the country and you, you don't get to see them. Back to a day when, when your body functioned better. Back to a day when you were in a previous church and they sang better songs and the pastor was cooler. 
I mean, whatever it is, could you imagine? And and we're all tempted to believe this about things that have happened in our history. And most, a lot of us, there's things that have happened in our history that we want to forget and move on. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to think back to things that have happened or, or different experiences that we've had, and we compare the present with that, and we say, well, that was better. That church was better. That community was better. That person was better. My family was better when? My life was better when I was single. I don't believe that. But when you get married, there's moments where you are tempted to believe that. You press through those moments, married people. It gets better. Right? How depressing if we live our lives looking back and longing for the past. And so a question I want to ask us this morning is what glory days of old are you clinging to that might be keeping you from experiencing and sharing more of God's peace today? What glory days from, from yesteryear are you, are you clinging to and holding on to that's keeping you from experiencing what God has in front of you here and now today? Whether that be in your church life, whether that be in your family life, whether that be in your work life, whether that, wherever that applies to you. Now again, the, the memories of yesteryear are not bad. They're good. In fact, we're going to see that in the text here in just a minute. But church, the reality is If you cling to something of the past and don't accept where you presently are, you're never going to experience the full peace of God. And that's what God is getting at here in Haggai chapter 2. Those people who are saying, oh, the old temple, the way we used to do worship, the way that things used to be around here, if only you could see that, that was so much better than today. And God comes to them and, and he says, no, no, it's time to move on. That old temple, that old way of doing things is never coming back again. It's a new day, and I've got a new plan, and I'm making all things new. And so how about you? Do do you hearken back to a past era of church expression, and it's causing you to not move forward or to embrace the present reality? Do you hearken back to the last church that you were at when, again, they did things differently, and that was better, and if only I could find that type of church again? Do you, do you think back to a past political era and climate when I liked that president more than this president or that group more than this group? And if only we could get back to when our country was this way. Guess what? It's not going back. We have to embrace where we are today. We can remember the past and say, I'm so grateful for what happened back in the day. Whether you're, I'm not going to name names of presidents, you all have a different opinion of which president you liked more and which area of American life you liked more. Well, some of us have experienced like two presidents, so we're young babies, but it's not going back. What about a former life? I mentioned this already, but when your kids were younger and, and they've grown up and your family hasn't gone the way that you hoped it would and, and you're still kind of living in the past longing for it to go back. Maybe you've been divorced and you're thinking back to those days when things were better and and you want to go back. Maybe you've lost a spouse and oh, how you miss that spouse. You, You want to go back. It's okay to have those memories. Cling to those memories. Appreciate those past experiences of God's faithfulness and grace. But church, we miss out on God's peace if we long for the past 
rather than embracing the present, living in the present. That's what God moves them to. So he calls them out in verse 3 about longing for the past, and then verse 4 and 5, he moves them into the future. He says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Declare the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. And so God is doing a new thing in Israel. They're, they're rebuilding the temple. They're building a new temple. And it's not the same as the old temple. It's a new day. Things are different. Things have changed. And God is saying, it's time to live in the present. It's time to accept what is rather than longing for what was. And in order to do that, it requires four things here in this text. It requires strength. It requires work. It requires memory. It does require remembering the past, but not longing to go back to the past. And then it requires the Spirit of God. So look at this here. He says in verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land. As God moves us into embracing the present, to experiencing his peace in the present, and moving to experiencing more of his peace in the future, he calls us to embrace the present by being strong. But how can weak people be strong? I mean, I'm, I'm weak. There's that call here in Scripture, be strong. I'm like, yeah, how do I just muster it up? Well, here's how they grew in strength. They stayed committed to one another. They listened to the prophet. They listened to the word of God through Haggai. And they committed to one another so that they had accountability in the midst of community because you cannot be strong on your own. You, you can't do life on your own. You can't experience the peace of God on your own. You can't move past the, the, the longing of the past on your own without people encouraging you in the present and pointing you to the future. And so God calls his people, if we're going to embrace the present, if we're going to live in the present, to be strong. How do we grow in strength? By listening to the word of God, by being in community with one another, and ultimately by the Lord stirring up our spirit with strength, which is all over this text. Secondly, we live in the present by working. He says, work, for I am with you. God doesn't call us to just be passive Christians who just sit around and say, well, whatever God wants, he will do. He's in charge. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. So I'm going to sit on my hands and just do nothing. No, he says, work. I've given you the plan. I've given you the call. Rebuild the temple. Get to work. Find your architects, find your builders, find your resources, put it together, organize this thing. Let's get the job done. Work, for I am with you. So we work as though the Lord is with us because he in fact is. And if we're going to live well in the present, we actually do have to remember the past. He says, work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the end of verse 4 into verse 5. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. See here he's calling them to remember the past. He's saying, remember your story. Remember where you came from. You are the Israelites. You are the Jews. You are the people that I led out of Egypt with my strong right hand, with my servant Moses. I parted the Red Seas for you. I provided for you through the wilderness. Remember the covenant that I made with you. I was faithful back then. He's saying, don't long to go back because you're never going back. 
you live in the present and you move to the future. But remember how I was faithful back then. Celebrate what God did in this church in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. Celebrate what God did. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his grace. Remember his mercy. Remember how he built this church. But don't, don't long to go back. Remember what God did in your family. Remember what God did in your life. Remember his evidences of grace in your past. Remember them. Call it to memory. Let that be an encouragement for you in the present as you move into the future. And then lastly, to live in the present, we need God's spirit. He says at the end of verse 5, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. It's fearful living in the present and thinking about the future. You don't know what's going to happen. Some of you have fear about finances, you have fear about family, you have fear about your faith. We're filled with fear. And God says, my spirit is with you. So fear not, church. If you're going to embrace the present, if you are going to live in the present, be reminded that God's Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've received his spirit. And the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that same power that raised him from the dead is alive and at work in you. Incredible? Amen. And so what present realities might you be ignoring, neglecting, or resenting that might be keeping you from experiencing and sharing more of God's peace today? Like, what, what things are right in front of you, your present realities today, that you might be ignoring, neglecting, or resenting? Like, Build some better habits into your life. If you want to experience more of me, if you want to experience more holistic peace, eat better, drink better, sleep better, exercise more. Stop watching so much TV. Stop spending so much time on a screen. Like, the Holy Spirit convicts us of certain things, right? And I think some of us, many of us, myself included, I lack the full peace of God because I'm ignoring neglecting or resenting these present realities in my life. And God is saying, there's more of me that you can experience. Andrew, my son, I want all peace for you. I want you to be a person of peace. I want you to experience my peace. I, I want your church to be a place of peace. And there's more peace that you could experience and share, but you keep neglecting these things that I've been tapping you on the shoulder about for years. And, and so, church, just ask yourself that question. If you really want to be a person of peace and if we want to grow as a people in a place of peace... It's, it's time to embrace the present, to live in the present and stop neglecting what God is asking us to do and to be strong and to work and to remember his faithfulness and to remember that his spirit is living within us, empowering us to move forward. And then that's the last piece of this passage. He tells them to look forward. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, see that? It's, it's future. Once more in a little while. Soon, there's something coming. Look to the future. Don't, don't long for the past. They're complaining about how it used to be and how it currently is. And he's saying, in the future, there's something more coming. Yet, once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land. And this isn't about an earthquake. This is, this is a metaphor for him saying, I'm going to stir in the people. I'm about to do something supernatural and unusual for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations, so that the treasures of the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so he's saying, in the future, live in the present, work, be strong. Remember my faithfulness. Yield yourself to my spirit. And I'm about to do something. Look to the future. This is the primary posture of the Bible. The Bible is actually always calling followers to look back and to remember what God has done, but then to turn and to look forward to the future with anticipation, clinging to God's promises, trusting who he is and what he will do. And here in this setting, he's, he's reminding the people that I will build my temple. I will build the place of worship. Stop comparing it to what you want it to be or to what you think is best. Trust me to build it. And here's what's amazing. I'm going to use the nations of the world to do it. So, so you may be looking around thinking, how in the world is our church going to raise $2.6 million? We're a bunch of... What are we? <laughs> you know your own incomes. I know we're not going to raise $2.6 billion with my income. Million dollars. Let's keep it reasonable. And, and, and so we, we might be thinking, like they were thinking, for one, they're thinking, well, this plan isn't that great, God. And two... We don't have the resources to rebuild the temple right now. And God's saying, just, just trust me. Just look to the future. I'm about to do something, and I will shake the nations. And the reason God is shaking the nations is because he cares about the nations of the world. He's not just about Israel, his people. He's about the nations of the world. He's about people, all mankind, creating his image. He's not just about Park Community Church. He's not just about St. Louis Park. He's not just about the American church. He's about the nations of the world. And God is reminding the Israelites he's going to shake the nations and he's actually going to use resources, gold and silver, from the nations of the world to bring in the supply for the temple to be built. Isn't that amazing? Now, we're not building the Old Testament temple here at Park Community Church. We're renovating our building. We, the people, are the building. We are the church that God resides in. But we have this tool for ministry that we use that God has gifted us with. And so we think renovating it will help us to become a people in a place of peace, to, to grow in that. And one of the amazing, encouraging things to me So I got a call from Max Isolate about a month and a half ago. Some of you know Max and Yuget and Giannis and their new daughter, Yael. They worship here for three to four years. They moved to Kansas City in September. God took them there for a job transfer. And Max, and I normally don't do this, I'm all about like if you want uh, privacy and you're giving I'm all about that, and Max wanted privacy in his giving, but Max called me and he said, hey, pastor, I know we're moving and we we'll very likely won't ever be at this church again, but, but we experienced God there and we love this church family and we want to invest in the Building for a Community campaign. And so the very first person to give to our Building for a Community campaign was this couple from the Ivory Coast of Africa. We don't know how much they gave, but they felt God call them to give, and they're never even going to worship in this church building again, likely. I, I keep praying that God will bring them back here for a job transfer so that they can be part of this church again, but it's unlikely. And, and so they're not investing in this building because it's going to bless their two children. And God has literally 
shook the nations to bring in resources for this church family. Is that amazing? From the Ivory Coast of Africa to worshiping with us for a few years, moving on to Kansas City, and they're saying, we feel like God has called us to invest in this place and these people because of who God is here among them, and we want to be a piece of that. Praise God. God's literally shaking the nations to get the work done. And then God promises here in verse 9, the later glory of this house shall be greater than the former. And he's not just talking about the temple there. He's actually not saying that the, that the temple is going to be better than the previous temple. He's saying, I'm about to do something in my people that outdoes the past. See, this Savior, his name is Jesus, is about to come. This Messiah, the chosen one of the Jews, but the one who will open the door wide open to the Gentiles. There's a greater future coming. And this temple, the temple of the living God, will be these people. And as my people are scattered among the earth, people will encounter the living God. They don't need to come to Jerusalem to enter the temple that was built with hands. But any time, any place, any, any sphere that a Christian is in, there the presence of the living God is. And people will experience the peace of God as they encounter the people of God. And so, yes, the, the coming glory, the later glory of this house shall be greater than the former because this house has now become the people. Amen? So when we scatter, we take that, that glory that was contained to the Old Testament temple with us. We are the representatives of the Lord. And see, if we want to live as a people of peace, and if we want our building to be a place of peace, we need to remember that all of this is temporary. All of this is temporary. Church, if we get, if we get stuck longing for the past, and I know some, some of you, circumstantially speaking, your future may never be better, circumstantially speaking, here on earth. But we have to remember it's all temporary. This building is a temporary tool for us to use to maximize our ministry here in St. Louis Park. Your relationships, your marriages, your friendships, they're this temporary gift for you to experience. God's grace. But we can't live for them. They point us to a greater future, a future when we are with our Lord and King. If we lose sight of the hope that we have in Jesus, we will never experience the full peace of God. Church, we have to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And to wind this down, let's flip to Revelation chapter 21. See, church, my prayer for us today, for you today, is that we keep our eyes on the prize, the greater day that is yet to come. Revelation 21 shows us that day. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. If you're experiencing disappointment, depression, grief, loss. If you're struggling to embrace the present, to live in the present, and to look forward to the future, let this passage be a reminder to you of what your future holds. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And the reality is we're all guilty of verse 8. And the truth of the gospel is that because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we get Verses 1 through 7, it's a sure promise in our future if we cling to Jesus. Amen, church? So look to the future. That's the promise that you have. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for this place and for these people that we can gather to worship a risen king. Lord, may we fondly remember the past but not long to go back there. May you empower us to embrace the present and may you inspire us to look to the future because this day is coming when you will wipe every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God, make us hungry for that day. May we long for that day, the day that is yet to come. And as we take communion now, Lord, I pray that you would make us more hungry, more thirsty for you, our righteousness, our peace. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.